Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, writer for Football Outsiders. It's 1 p.m. Eastern time on Friday, heading into week 11. So we're doing our live stream fantasy preview for all the week 11 games. And joining me today, special guest Ryan Hallam from Fantasy Alarm, a projections guy, much like myself. So today may get really, really nerdy. Ryan, what's going on? Not too much, Scott. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to uh, hoping that week 11 might be a little more normal than week nine and week 10 have been because it's been it's been crazy the last couple of weeks. Well, I mean, it's been upset city for the favorite teams from a real NFL sense, from a gambling sense. But there's been some intriguing fantasy stuff, too. And we're going to hit on a major fantasy topic for every game the rest of the of the weekend. Before we get there, let me mention, too, that FO Plus is now on sale for 99 cents per week for annual subscriptions. It's a limited time offer, so you can get all of our stats, analysis, fantasy, and betting info. Don't miss out on that while you can get it. Footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe, or check the link in the show description to, to figure out the info for that. Ryan, let's get started with the first game on Sunday, Colts at Bills. That's 1 p.m. in Buffalo. 40 degrees with a 59% chance of light rain and 17-mile-per-hour winds, potential gusts to 30 miles per hour. I read the weather for all the games, and it's been kind of, you know, for September and October, it doesn't really matter too much. This is one of the first weekends when weather's really playing a role with what's going on here. So I'll ask it for this game, but it's going to apply to a few other ones. When does weather start factoring into your fantasy decisions or does it ever, especially talking about a player like Josh Allen or whatever, maybe it just doesn't matter to you. Uh, I think it has to, to a certain degree, you know, especially with the rain, with the, the wet ball. I think it comes into play in this game. You know, the Titans are generally, uh, you know, a fair weather uh, you know, city. Most mm -hmm. of their division uh, is indoors, so you know they necessarily might not play in, in as much northeast fun as Buffalo might. So yeah, when West Coast teams come east, uh, you know dome teams play in the in the weather. I think that comes to play more than say Buffalo's. You know, pretty used to it. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it probably is easier for a home team than it is for a road team. But at least in the research that I've done, the play calling tendencies are kind of what change the most, and they can change for for both the home team and the road team. And by my estimates, I would say higher winds tend to increase run plays by 4% per game. Heavy precipitation increases it by about 10% per game. And by and large, I would say cold weather, unless you're getting under 30 degrees, it's not going to really play that much of a role. But pretty much all weather elements shift play calling from the pass toward the run. So say, you know, that may affect your decisions with a player like Emmanuel Sanders or a Cole Beasley, a player that's kind of a little bit more borderline. Uh, but like when you're talking about somebody as good as Josh Allen, for instance, so I'm projecting him to lose 0.9 projected fantasy points. It sounds like a lot, but he's still my number one quarterback. The fact that he runs as well as passes, I think it kind of kind of plays a huge role here. Uh, and so it's interesting in that respect. Ryan, my DFS play for this game, I'm kind of going against myself a little bit here in recommending a pass catcher, but I think Dawson Knox is just really well-priced at 4,000 in DraftKings. I think that's 500 too low. I think it may be a reaction to the fact that he had just one catch for 17 yards in his return from a broken hand last week. But since he played 84% of snaps, which is pretty much his, his pre-injury workload, I'm saying that I think he's probably back to full health, and I'm just kind of making a play at a potential touchdown here at tight end. What are your thoughts on Knox this week? Definitely like that. I was, you know, I have him in some best balls coming into the year. I was kind of hoping that he might mm -hmm. take this step and he, and he has, you know, uh, and I totally agree. Not only maybe the weather coming into play, but the, the dud that he threw up last week. But like yeah. you said, it was his first, first game back, you know, necessarily, you know, maybe wasn't a little sure about how the hand would react, but him and Josh Allen certainly have a nice chemistry. And I know 4,000, I think is a, is a great price. I, I totally agree with your pick. Yeah, I mean, in weeks one to six, he was leading the position with five touchdowns. 
And even though he was kind of a surplus over the expect, expected total there, it was still second best by expected touchdowns behind just Tyler Higby. So I think pretty good option there as more of a, yeah, a best ball. I love it in that kind of format. Because again, it's, it's maybe touchdown or bust, but decent chance to score this weekend. Next on the list, we have the Ravens at Bears, 1 p.m. in Chicago. Another weather game here with 45 degrees, 25% chance of light rain and 10 mile per hour winds. But let's focus something a little bit more on the players here, which is Justin Fields related. You know, he had his first, I would say, really nice passing game before the team had to buy last week. Do you think that that's something that's going to continue going forward? Can he continue to have success passing the ball and maybe becoming a fantasy option? I, I do like what I've seen. I, I, you know, I was I trashed him repeatedly the first two months of the season. It was, it was just he just looked clueless out there. But you know, starting with the game against San Francisco, he ran for a hundred yards. Uh, started to look a little more confident. Mm-hmm. You know, the last game before their bye, you know, he also he played well, threw the ball well. He said I think it was two hundred ninety-one yards, so he almost threw for three hundred yards. Yeah, seems like they're letting the reins off him a little bit more. Seems like they're they're you know going with his hips his athleticism a little more, which is, you know, a lot of what people liked coming into the draft. So it seems like the Bears maybe are starting to figure out how to use him. He's gaining a little bit of confidence. The Ravens give up the most uh, yards per game against the pass, shockingly enough. Uh, mm-hmm. Not a ton of touchdowns, but the most yards per game. So, yeah, I think the Fields has a chance to continue uh, to, to succeed. And if you're, you know, looking to stream a quarterback this week, perhaps he, he probably can do worse than him. So, yeah, we do a lot of efficiency talk at Football Outsiders thinking about things like passing DVOA. And if you look at that, he still looks like one of the, be- the the worst few quarterbacks in the league as a passer. But I'll say two things about that. One, that is also heavily influenced by how many sacks a player is taking. And the Bears have an 11.7% adjusted sack rate. That's by far the worst. That's something that's trending a little bit better. And while it's probably going to continue to affect fields to a certain extent the rest of the way, that isn't necessarily a killer from a fantasy perspective because – Maybe he's turning the ball over a little bit, throwing more interceptions because of the pressure. But if he can counterbalance it with the you know passing yardage, the touchdowns, it's okay. And then I'll say, too, that the trends with the passing DVOA are looking better. The first start, it was just catastrophic. It was negative 119%. He was 119% worse than an average passer that week. That's <laughs> not exactly what you're looking for. I'm not blaming him. I'm just saying that's what it was. But in two of the last four games, he's been an above-average passer by passing DVOA. So even though the total for the full season as a starter looks really bad, I think it's trending. And you brought up the main point for me here, Ryan. It's like he doesn't have to get that good as a passer this year to be competent from a fantasy perspective because after carrying the ball just three times in his first three starts, it's six, eight, ten, and eight carries the last four. He's averaged 16.5 fantasy points per game since week seven. That's 17th highest at the position even if he's throwing for 250 yards in a game and not the 300 that he nearly hit before the bye, that could really work for you. So I don't think I'm going to be starting him against the Ravens this week, but I think it's an intriguing one where it's like, yeah, their defense isn't as good. And if he has success here, I'm going to start to really buy into it as an option. And even in a shallower leagues. Now, that being said, my DFS play is actually in the running game here with David Montgomery, 5,500 in DraftKings. I think that's mildly underpriced at 300, but there's not a guy here that, Super stands out in this game. But I'll say that, like like you mentioned with the Ravens being not as good of a pass defense as you might have expected coming into the year, I think that's probably true from a running perspective as well. And then in particular, I just feel like Montgomery is getting a lot more run than Khalil Herbert, despite Herbert's success in his absence. He played 85% of snaps versus just 16% for Herbert before the bye. So I think it's clearly back to a bell cow situation for Montgomery and the prices may not reflect it. What do you think? Totally agree. Uh, you know, the minute that he was healthy, like you said, he took the job right back over. So that, you like to see that with with Herbert, like they had great success while Montgomery was out. Uh, 
Uh, so, you know, it's kind of a, a different situation like we saw in New England last night with, with Stevenson was very good when Harris was out. And then last night they pretty much split and, and Stevenson did a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, there was no such thing with the Bears. Montgomery came back, took over all the carries, did very well. Uh, it was nice to see him come back for the bye. Now he's had an extra week to rest. So I think 5500 is a great price on DraftKings, and I, I expect him to have a, a, another very solid game, both running, uh, running the ball and he's a good pass catcher too. Mm-hmm. So my untrained eye with Herbert, I really liked what I saw from him as the temporary starter. I thought his vision was really good. And that's that can be a tricky thing to sort of see statistically. Um, but I will say that while he and Montgomery had very similar rushing success rates this year, both around 47%, Montgomery has been dramatically better in terms of yards after contact per attempt. So I think even though if you're looking at some of the more basic metrics, you might say, it seems like Herbert's just as good as Montgomery. I think Montgomery's probably had a tougher road to sled on his carries and has performed well despite that. So I do think it's pretty clear to me, at least right now, that Montgomery is the better player. And I think he's going to have a ton of work this week, too. All right, let's move on to the third game of the week. Lions at Browns, 1 p.m. Eastern time in Cleveland, 46 degrees, 57% chance of light rain and 14 mile per hour winds. I think this is maybe the last game that I think has a major weather implication here. Uh, maybe not a ton of scoring anyway with these offenses, at least beyond the, the Browns rushing game. But maybe this is kind of a broader question going over the rest of the year, Ryan. Do you think there's any Browns receiver that could pop from fantasy perspective now that Odell Beckham is out of town and in L.A.? Pop? I'm not sure. You know, Donovan Peoples-Jones, I know, has had a couple of big games and then mm-hmm. does nothing another week. Jarvis Landry is kind of the slow and steady wins the race, but none of his games are really all that exciting. And Richard yeah. Higgins, you know, he's he's – a fourth, fifth receiver, let's be honest, uh, but forced into a bigger role because of the injuries and, and everything. And then Anthony Schwartz, you know, will pop yeah. a big play every once in a while. So if I had to pick one, it would probably be Peoples-Jones. Uh, if you're a PPR league and you, you know, you like the conservative play, Jarvis Landry is, yeah. is okay. Uh, I don't really love any of them. You know, Baker Mayfield is playing on one knee, half a shoulder and, and everything else, trying to tough it out there. And they're a run first team to begin with anyway. Uh, I think Chubb was was brought back off the COVID list. So uh, I don't really have a lot of confidence in any of them, though. I mean, I, I can't disagree with you there, Ryan, honestly. Part of it is is that the team is playing three tight ends, at least 30, 39% of snaps. And that I mean, that kind of leads to their, their run nature. So they're just not going to throw the ball a ton, even though I think at this point it is clear what the pecking order is among wide receivers. Last week, Peoples-Jones played 85%. Jarvis Landry played 80%. And then Rashard Higgins played 44% of snaps. So it's like it's Peoples, Jones, Landry, and then Bust, a wide receiver. But the trick of it is you see that number for Peoples Jones, they're like, hey, he's a full-time starter now. Things must have changed since Beckham left. But he played 59% or more of snaps his seven previous games, too, and had just 18 targets over those seven games. So even though he has, I guess, less competition from a real sense, I don't think it's going to necessarily lead to more than an occasional big game. I wouldn't be relying on him from a fantasy perspective. Unsurprisingly, then you might you might say that my DFS thoughts are kind of riding with a running back situation here. I originally tapped Dearness Johnson as a possibility here. He's 5,600 in DraftKings. Uh, but Chubb, as you mentioned, just got activated from the COVID list. So I think it's probably going to be back to usual for him. But Ernest Johnson, I mean, he is going to be playing second fiddle for a team that has gotten a lot of run out of that with Kareem Hunt being healthy. And Hunt is out again this week. Would you start Johnson in a DFS sense as the secondary back here? Or is Chubb pretty much the only guy you're going with in this in this spot? I do like Chubb. I think if the pricing came out before we knew Chubb was activated and Johnson was maybe a thousand dollars less, 
yeah. than he was. I mean, you're looking at Dearness Johnson at 56. We just talked about David Montgomery at 55. Uh, so <laughs> clear, I think clear choice between those two, right? Yeah. So I think the the unfortunately for for Johnson, I think that you know the pricing come out earlier the week before we knew if Chubb was going to play kind of hurts him. So I, I would probably uh, you know lean Chubb pretty heavily there. I agree with that. Now, I will point out that it's interesting that Johnson has 2.7 yards after contact per attempt this season. That's top five among running backs with 25 or more carries. Chubb and Hunt, I think, are first and third in that. So I've been trying to unpack like whether or not somehow the Browns' great blocking is leading to extra yards after contact or not. I think it may be the case the Browns just have three really, really good backs, which is a pretty sweet spot to be in. Um, But from a fantasy perspective, I would say Johnson is more fun as a player than he might be from a fantasy perspective. perspective in this spot but again if the browns could lead up by multiple scores maybe they can ride all both of these guys to some extra stuff so i guess we'll see Uh, i'm probably not going to pull the trigger but maybe in like a a long shot type of sense maybe he could have some work in the third and fourth quarters yeah i definitely think so like yeah if he scored a touchdown on sunday would i be surprised not at all you know i just don't know i'm guessing his workload is probably going to be capped around 10 you know 10 carries unless the game really gets out of hand which I don't know if, you know, Cleveland's offense lends itself to being at it. But if Tim Boyle is starting at quarterback for the Lions, who knows? You know, the, the whole Detroit offense is, is pretty much garbage. So I say, uh, are you saying that's, possible. that's going to be a huge upgrade over Jared Goff? So it may be closer <laughs> than we were thinking is what you <laughs> – I said Tim Boyle sounds more like your eighth-grade social studies teacher than an NFL quarterback. So I'm not sure if he's going to – as bad as Goff has been, I'm not sure he's going to be much better. Can't argue with you there. Uh, so Joey, Joey sucks on the the YouTube chat. And I'll mention again, we're live on YouTube among other platforms that you can watch us on the live stream. If you jump on YouTube, you can chat with us and ask us questions. Joey sucks asks, are there any worries about how Baker's injury might impact the efficacy of the run game? And I'll say that while I originally had some concerns, I think Baker's had shoulder issues now for going on about five or six weeks that I know about. And the fact is they've continued to run with success. I know they've had some up and down games, but they're still, I think, top three in adjusted line yards. So getting great, you know, great blocking up front. All of these guys have had a ton of success. It's really more an issue of trying to figure out who's going to play what role. Cause, you know, we're not used to seeing Chubb and Johnson on the field at the same time. And we may not be used to it when they get Hunt back, having all three of them seem like good players. So that's really more my concern, Ryan. Yeah. And I also don't think Case Keenum is the worst backup quarterback in the league. It's not like, you know, some of these guys that come out there and the offense just, can't move. I mean, yeah. he's at least competent. So it's not like, you know, they, they know he can't throw. He's at least good enough where uh, I, I think he can still at least run the offense in a somewhat respectable way. Agreed. We got some more questions flooding in. Keep those coming. We're going to hold a lot of the questions toward the end of the show and hit on them later when, when they're kind of off topic. For now, we're going to keep going with the, the fantasy preview, moving over to the Texans at Titans game. That's 1 p.m. Eastern time in Tennessee, 54 degrees and clear with 11 mile per hour winds. We've seen it a couple of weeks now, Ryan, but do you think there's any Titans running back worth starting in fantasy? Uh, you know, with Derrick Henry being out, it seems like kind of a three back committee at this point, which may not be too attractive. It's not, you know, and, and each guy kind of has his own thing. Like Adrian Peterson, I feel like is the goal line guy. I feel like Deonta Foreman, a guy who I've liked for a couple of years. I was thinking about this yesterday. And, you know, between Houston and a couple of his spots, he's always kind of had a chance and never really come through. So this year when he, when he you know, landed on the Titans, I'm like, you know what? I'm done with this guy. And finally, now he's like starting to play okay <laughs> as soon as I just, I just let him go. So, you know, he's got a little bit more work in, in the week before, you know. So I, I think he has probably the best chance of being the guy. But as far as week 11 is concerned, it's, it's 
kind of if you're just picking out of a hat. But I think it's definitely between Foreman and Peterson. If I had to pick one, it would be Foreman. Yeah, I think that makes sense too. Peterson has played 33% of snaps each of the last two weeks, but Foreman jumped up from 21% in week nine to 35% last week. So if there's any trending happening, it may be more him. It's, it runs a little bit counter to what I was thinking, thinking that Peterson kind of being off the street at his age, maybe he would need some buildup time. Maybe that could still happen, but you know, you may be right here about Foreman too, because like he was an effective and efficient runner pre-injury. And I think it's it's easy to to kind of conflate an Achilles injury with a with an ACL injury, but Achilles injuries are just often so much more devastating to a career. I think that probably derailed him. So it's a little bit less surprising that it's taken a few years for him to find some some work again. Hope it can work out for him. I think that'd be really cool. Uh from a DFS perspective. You know, without having the Titans running back that you trust, it kind of gets a little bit shaky here. I'll throw out Marcus Johnson as a possible a price-saving option. He's only 3,500 in DraftKings. What's interesting here is that he jumped from a 5% snap share in Week 9 to 63% in Week 10 because Julio Jones landed on IR. So maybe he's the second wide receiver for this team. Weirdly, the Texans are a lot better in defense of number one receivers than other guys. I don't necessarily think they have a standout cornerback, but their defense is, is better than you would expect. Is it to the point where you would consider playing Johnson, or is that a little bit too deep of a flyer for your tastes? I mean, I think it depends on your your you know roster construction. If you mm-hmm. if you have a guy at running back, or you want to pay up for quarterback, uh, or maybe that tight end, uh, I don't think there's a problem with him as a dart throw at 3,500. I mean, it's a really cheap price, and he had yeah. 100 yards. Uh, I do think part of the the problem with AJ Brown last week was the, the Saints have Marshawn Lattimore, who is one of the better corners in the league, and was able to kind of handle him. I would say completely one-on-one, but probably yeah. needed less defensive help than you know Desmond King or Terrence Marshall or anyone from the Texans are going to have with Brown. So I do think it's going to be a good day for AJ Brown. But Marcus Johnson, 3,500 is is really hard to argue with. Uh, when yeah, I think he's clearly the second receiver on the team against the uh, you know the Texans defense started out the season pretty well, and I think it's kind of starting to slip. Uh, so I think I think some of their numbers might be uh, some early early season aided. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you there. All right, next up on the list, Packers at Vikings. That's 1 p.m. Eastern time in the Dome in Minnesota. The Packers have gone through a a series of injuries and or absences to some key players in recent weeks. Unfortunately, the most recent one is Aaron Jones, going to miss a couple of games probably with an MCL sprain, I believe. Uh, How are the Packers going to handle that? Is it going to shift the workload all toward A.J. Dillon? Are they going to be passing more? Like, What do you think is going to happen with the Packers' offense that you would handle then from a fantasy perspective? I have a feeling it's probably going to stay pretty close to the way they normally would. You know, A.J. Dillon has done nothing but show success uh, when Aaron Jones has been out between last year, you know, the playoffs and, and this year. I mean, he's shown he can handle the load. He's mm-hmm. you know catching some balls out of the backfield. Uh, I, I've been very impressed with what I've seen when they've put him into into action. So I, I have no uh, no thoughts that, that it's going to be any you know major shift. I, I think it's going to be pretty much status quo, and I think A.J. Dillon's going to have a big game. Yeah, it's, it's weird. When you look at Dylan, so he's 247 pounds. And given that Matt LaFleur is coming out of Tennessee, you kind of got the sense that he was looking for his version of Derrick Henry, right? <laughs> and that's kind of what I expected. And I think he's done that as a runner. He's got 2.8 a- uh, yards after contact per attempt since the start of last year. That's the fourth highest among running backs with th- 50 plus carries. Henry is basically right there too. But what you said here, I think is true. It's been surprising how effective he's been as a receiver. He's got 4.1 yards after the catch plus per catch since 2020. I know that's a bit of a mouthful. It's basically saying that when he catches the ball, he's a little bit more elusive than you would expect from an average player, never mind a player that's 247 pounds. 
So I think it may be the case that he can handle a bell cow type of role. Now I'm not saying he's going to get the like 4.7 targets per game that Aaron Jones was getting with the team, but I think it's, it's not going to be the split that he and, and Jones had together. I mean, last week, Dylan played 49% of snaps versus just 4% for Patrick Taylor. So it's pretty dominant one-sided there. And I don't know who else they would have. So Kylan Hill was the sixth round rookie that I think they were really high on uh, from his work in the preseason. He tore his ACL a few weeks ago. They're just kind of out of bodies. So I assume they're going to kind of roll with Dylan more than anyone else. Uh, and at least for the next week or two, unless Jones ended up missing more time, you know, he's only 7,000 in FanDuel. I think that's way, way underpriced. Like he's probably going to be one of the more heavily owned players this week from a, from a DFS perspective, but I would go all in on him. I don't know if you feel that way too. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. Like you said, everything you said is just, it, I echo it all. I think he's definitely going to be the major focus of the offense. Vikings, you know, you can run, you can throw on them, you can score on them. I, I think uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a Dylan day all, all day. Absolutely. All right, next up, Dolphins-Jets, 1 p.m. in New York, 51 degrees and clear. Uh, can you trust Elijah Moore in fantasy at this point? He's had some really nice fantasy days the last two weeks, 84 yards, two touchdowns, followed by 44 yards and one touchdown. But I don't know if his his workloads are kind of justifying it. What do you think, Ryan? You know, they always say garbage time points count as much as everything else. So uh, and the Jets have had a whole lot of garbage time lately. Uh yeah, I think he's, you know, he's working his way in. Corey Davis is probably still the number one, but I think it's pretty blurred at this point. And Moore has, you know, been finding the end zone. So, you know, you, it might take a while for, the, you know, to get the points. He might not get it in the first quarter, uh, but they certainly have, uh, you know, found the way to get him the ball and get him in the end zone. What's Joe Flacco going to be? I, you know, that's the number one question. You know, can he run the offense? Uh, hasn't really played at all this year. Uh, you know, the, the Dolphins defense has looked resurgent in the past couple of weeks. Uh, so, you know, more definitely has some question marks, but I, I think if you're trusting somebody on this team, that's probably the way to go. See, I really want to, I mean, I think Moore is a really talented player and a player that should be playing more than he's had a chance to, but I don't, I don't think it's a question mark. I mean, I think Davis is clearly the number one receiver on this team. Davis missed the game two weeks ago, and that's when Moore had the jump up to a 60% snap share, had his two touchdowns. But Moore dropped back down to a 56% share last week. Davis played 84%, and then the slot receiver, Jamison Crowder, played 83%. So at least based on snap shares, it paints a pretty clear picture that he's not the top of his list. And while he has had the production itself, I would say he's been kind of lucky in scoring touchdowns from longer range. And so he's got three touchdowns the last three weeks. I think he only has 1.3 expected touchdowns all season. That's a metric that looks at both distance from the end zone and air yards to say how often do players score when they get the ball where they get it. And like some of that's probably more being a really good player himself. But I think it's pretty lucky that he's been where he's been the last few weeks. I'm ranking him 50th among wide receivers in PPR formats this week. And, and granted, that's down a smidge because it's a bad venue and weather situation here. It doesn't really put him near my fantasy lineups right now. You think I'm just being a little bit too pessimistic here? I'm hoping that it changes, but just for now, I'm, I'm not optimistic yet. No, I mean, you know, data is what it is. You can't really argue with, with statistics. And you're right. I mean, one of the touchdowns against the Colts, I think Xavier Rhodes fell down. So, I mean, it was basically yeah, in the end zone by himself. Uh, and the other problem is how many points are the Jets going to score? You know, so that also, it doesn't, you know, come into play. Uh, but yeah, the, the production has been nice lately. Can it continue? We'll find out. I you know I have a hard time trusting anyone on the Jets, but he seems to at least be making the most meaningful plays mm -hmm. on the team. So, you know, I certainly don't fault you at all for for not vaulting him <laughs> into your lineups or anyone on that team. 
not not trusting anyone on the Jets makes a lot of sense. Mix of Wave says it's Joe Flacco time. So that, that pretty much says it all. And so you might not be surprised to hear that from a DFS perspective in this game, I'm looking more at the Dolphins side, potentially at Tua Tonga-Vailoa here. He's just 4,600 in DraftKings. I think that's pretty significantly underpriced, 800 underpriced. If you look at his full season stats, it doesn't look great. So he's averaged 16.2 fantasy points per game. That's in the range with Jimmy Garoppolo's at 16.2, Teddy Bridgewater's at 16. Uh, my guy, Sam Darnold, 15.9. You don't want to be down there with Sam Darnold, right? <laughs> but I think it's a bit of a trick because, again, Tua has had two non-full games. In week two, he had just four pass attempts before he left hurt. And then in week 10 last week, he came in for you know an injured substitute or whatever, only had 13 pass attempts. So I'm kind of slicing and dicing it to get to a pretty small sample. But in his healthy handful of starts, Tagovailoa has averaged 19.6 fantasy points per game. That would be the 11th highest among quarterbacks just between Kirk Cousins and Joe Burrow. Do you buy into that at all? I feel like Tonga Vailoa is kind of making a step forward, but it doesn't really seem like the Dolphins have been treating it that way. What do you make of the sophomore quarterback? I like him. You know, we came into the year, I work with Howard Bender over at Fantasy Alarm, and we had a bet going. Uh, he had Sam Darnold, and I had Tua going into the year. Now, they mm. both have been hurt. World beaters. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, the, the bet is blown up. But, I mean, that's just – I really like them coming into the year. Uh, obviously, you won't have Devontae Parker. But Jalen Waddles looked really good. Mike Gusecki, no catches last week, but who the heck ever figured that? Uh, he's got a couple of decent weapons. Uh, the Jets are just god-awful on defense. They've just been giving up mm. points in, in bunches. I think it's like 160 in the last four weeks or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it certainly it, it couldn't be a better matchup. The weather looks looks pretty solid, at least, you know, no rain or, or heavy wind. Uh, you know, he's, he's been making the best of what limited weapons he's had all season long. So if you're paying, if you are trying to do, you know, a value quarterback, I don't know how much better you can find than Tua against the Jets for $4,600. Agreed. And we have some questions on, on some of these players, but I'm still, I'm going to hold all of these like lineup questions and these trade questions toward the end. But guys, keep peppering them. We're going to get to it in a later section in the show. Uh, for now, though, Saints at Eagles, 1 p.m. in Philadelphia, 52 degrees and clear. I don't actually, I, I should have followed up on this before the start of the show. I don't know whether Miles Sanders is going to play this week, but the team I think has activated him from IR such that he would be eligible to return any of the next three weeks. Ryan, what do you think is going to happen to the Eagles' backfield when Sanders rejoins this, um, either maybe this week or maybe one of the next two? I mean, is a bigger mess an option? Like, <laughs> I don't know. You know, before his injury, they weren't. He wasn't exactly the bell cow then either. So I don't yeah, expect him true. to come back and just take it over. You know, I think what little Kenneth Gainwell is getting will be gone. Uh, and I think probably, I think it'll probably be him and Jordan Howard. I think Boston Scott will probably get cut down a little bit more as well, as Howard will kind of be the you know the thunder to Sanders lightning. I these air quotes because I'm not even sure he's got lightning, but. I think it'll be more those two guys when he comes back. Uh, but I don't expect giant success, but they're just running the ball so much that I think the volume will be there that, you know, they both could have some, you know, some potential to be in fantasy lineups, not DFS lineups, but sure. you know, season long yeah. lineups. So, you know, I'm a little bit skeptical even on that front because Howard's been really productive the last three weeks. I mean, undeniably so. 41 carries, 211 yards, three touchdowns the last three games. But he's had a 32.5% carry share in that time. That's barely inside the top 40 at the position. To me, it kind of paints a picture of this is kind of a three-back committee as well. But the thing of it is that the Eagles have just had a really friendly schedule for, for you know, running backs from a fantasy perspective in recent weeks, playing the Lions, the Chargers, and Broncos – they rank 29th, 32nd, and 23rd in run defense DVOA, so all bottom 10. 
this week, the Saints rank first. Like, they are a really tough defense to go against, I mean, from every perspective, but I would say particularly for running backs because they are they hurt their efficiency. They also cut down on runs per game. Honestly, I wouldn't be stunned if the Eagles kind of went back to some of their early season frustrating strategy from a fantasy perspective, but more Jalen Hurts runs, more screen game, a little bit less traditional carries, which could hurt Jordan Howard. I think it would hurt Miles Sanders if he ended up playing as well. So I'd say I like, I'm not really excited about any of these backs going forward, no matter how the injuries shake out. Uh, so I don't know. I'm hoping that they're going to stick with the, the more balance of late. It's worked better for them, but uh, I don't know if the schedule is going to allow for it. We'll have to just see. From a DFS perspective, uh, again, I'm kind of taking the other side of this because of, of what I just explained. I think Adam Troutman starting to pique my interest again. You know, he, he was a big sleeper in the early season that hasn't really worked out. Uh, but he's still pretty inexpensive at 4,800 in FanDuel, and he's played 80% of snaps or more in five straight games. And here are his targets since week three per game. One, one, two, three, six, seven, and six. So those last three games, 17% target share, that's tied for 13th among tight ends. You think things are starting to turn around a little bit for Troutman? Or do you think maybe the Saints, you know, the, the offense isn't really going any great shakes here? Is it like, Maybe it's not enough, but what do you think about Troutman? Is it piqued your interest at all? I don't think the offense is any great shakes, but I think you'll also notice the last three weeks when we saw the six seven six was Trevor Simeon. Yeah, uh, and you know when you ever have a quarterback change, you always have you know they have their favorite receiver or they have their go to position. So clearly he's favoring the tight end more than Jameis Winston did. Uh, you know Taysom Hill doesn't look like he's going to play. None of the wide receivers are. are you know, consistently good, you know, Harris and, and Callaway can make some big mm. plays and Traquan Smith is decent as well, but none of them are, are, are world beaters. Alvin Kamara is banged up. So, you know, some of the targets that he might get could be up for grabs if he, you know, doesn't play a full complement of snaps. So I do like Troutman. I think he's a, a sneaky good play this week. I think the Eagles are very good against the tight end. Uh, I don't expect this to be a very highly scored game uh, on either side. Uh, so if you're going to pick someone yeah. out of this, I think you're good at Troutman with a, a pretty cheap price at tight end. Yeah, I also think Troutman's been really unlucky from a touchdown perspective. I mean, some of that in the early season was was the team relying more on Jawan Johnson, um, who is kind of faded toward the background, was actually a healthy and active a couple of weeks ago. So I think Troutman has asserted himself there. But also Troutman has 1.8 expected touchdowns on the season versus no actual scores and is one of the top five shortfall guys at the position there. So he's one of the players I think is going to score a little bit more over the second half and at such an inexpensive price in FanDuel. That may be a, an option for you if you're looking to save a bit of cash at the position. Okay, let's keep going. Washington at the uh, Panthers, 1 p.m. Eastern time in Carolina, 52 degrees and clear. Uh, I'm a Panthers fan, by the way, so I've been celebrating Cam Newton all week. Very excited to have him back in town. But Ryan, we need somebody that's that's not quite as biased as I am to tell me what's going to happen here with Cam Newton, both from his own fantasy perspective and like, is he going to change the skill players on the team's fantasy values going forward too? I mean, I hope so because Sam Darnold has really gone, you know, fell off a cliff. Um, but you know, last week they pretty much just put him in all the perfect situations. They gave him the ball at the one yard line. It was like, here, fall into the end zone, and then yep. he threw a two, you know, two down, two yard touchdown. You know, Robbie Anderson. So. It's, you know, they seem like they kind of cherry picked the, the perfect situations for Cam to succeed. Uh, now it's his first home game, but I know there's a lot of hubbub and, and you know everyone's very excited. Uh, but I'm still thinking of what I saw last year in New Orleans, in New England, when you know he couldn't throw the ball more than five yards down the field, and you know was was I would say more of a detriment than a help. Yeah. Hopefully the time off helped. I mean, and I know Mac Jones has played pretty well, but he didn't beat out a rookie in training camp. And I know there was the COVID problems and all that, but I, you know, he wasn't 
rocking the world in, in August either. So uh, I am not 100% on the cam train. I'm hoping he does well. I don't wish, you know, ill on him, but I need to see some, a little bit more of a full game than, than the kind of the cherry picking touchdowns they gave him last week before I'm too excited about it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's all fair, but that said, I am probably more optimistic about cam than, than most people would be. And it's a couple of reasons. One, you mentioned how he, he didn't win the job in the preseason, but I will say from the handful of throws I saw in the preseason, I thought his shoulder health looked better. And one of the big pieces of this is he had shoulder surgery in 2020 and you know, like we've been, I know we, we've been waiting for Cam to get healthy for the last five years, right? But it, it did look like the mechanics of his throwing were a little bit better. It's not a lot to trust, but I've always kind of contended too that, that Cam was unfairly judged a bit by some of the, the like accuracy numbers, like completion percentage, when so much of that was style. I mean, in 2017, he completed 59% of his passes. In 2018, he completed 68% of his passes. And really all that changed is that he started throwing the ball to Christian McCaffrey all the time, right? It's like, it's it's choices about depth of throw, about who you're targeting, about like the aggressiveness that you're pushing the ball down the field. I don't think Cam has the arm to probably do that anymore with all the shoulder injuries that he suffered. But I think that he can be accurate enough, even if he's not one of the leading pass completion guys in the league, given that he still has McCaffrey, hopefully going forward with the Panthers here. I think he has a chance to have a lot of value, given that he'll probably be scoring touchdowns himself near the goal line like he did last week. Now, in terms of his teammates, I will point out something that's a little bit scary. I know that, that Sam Darnold was no great shakes, but he did target DJ Moore seven times in the end zone the first nine weeks. That put more top 10 at the position and end zone targets. Cam Newton targeted more just four times in the end zone in 16 games together in 2018 and 2019. Like, you know, the fact that Newton scores so much near the goal line tends to mean that he doesn't throw the ball to his main targets. I mean, like, I'm worried that DJ Moore may have an Allen Robinson type of fall from grace from a fantasy perspective here. Like, do you see that as being a possibility at all, Ryan? Yeah, I definitely see that as a possibility. Uh, any team where you have DJ Moore, you're really kind of holding your breath this week and, and hoping that you see, because he wasn't, a, mm. I know, you know, Cam wasn't the quarterback most of the week last week, but he didn't have a very good week last week either. You know, it was obviously falling apart when Donald wasn't barely completing any passes. Yeah. So it's been a rough few weeks for DJ Moore. So I think you're really going in, uh, you know, starting him, of course, but, you know, with a lot of trepidation coming into this weekend and hoping that you see a big change and, and a nice game for him. Yeah, not starting him in DFS, I'll point out. Um, but from a DFS perspective, this is kind of a weird, weird quirk that I noticed, Ryan. Newton is 5,100 in DraftKings, which I think is $800 underpriced. He's actually the 27th most expensive quarterback in DraftKings this week, but he's 7,500 in FanDuel the 10th most expensive quarterback and at a price that I think is overpriced. It's probably not that surprising because one Newton is like newly with the team. And I don't think there's even any certainty about whether he's going to be starting this game. There's been some buzz that, that maybe it's still PJ Walker. I don't think that's the case, but it's really kind of weird. Like I would say he actually makes a lot of sense for me in a, in a DraftKings setting, but I would go nowhere near him in FanDuel. And that's something that I probably don't say too often. I saw right before we started uh, that he was supposed to start, but Walker was going to play, which I'm not sure what exactly that means. Uh, so I don't know if that's, you know, Matt Rule toying with the media or what it is, but uh, I, I, I think Cam's going to start. And I think if he doesn't play all the snaps, I expect him to play because. vast majority. Yeah. And if he throws one touchdown and runs in another, you know, at, at 5,100 on DraftKings, that's a good value. Absolutely. He might be, uh, Matt Rule may be going back to the well from last week while saying that Cam wasn't the starter, I think maybe influenced Kyler Murray to, to wait another week before he came back. Mm -hmm. So that was good news for the Panthers. Maybe they're going to try to run that script back again. 
All right, next up, 49ers at Jaguars, 1 p.m. Eastern time in Jacksonville, 68 degrees and clear. Uh, Ryan, what should you do with Brandon Ayuk at this point? I mean, it seemed to be trending in a positive direction, but then he fell off to three catches for 26 yards on four targets in week 10. Is that a distressing sign, or do you still think this is trending upward? Well, if you admitted you're a Panthers fan, I'll admit I'm a 49ers fan. Um, and no, I, I, I just can't, I can't play this game with Ayuk anymore. Uh, you know, a couple times this year, oh, it's been trending up and it goes right back down again. You know, you had that one nice game with six catches and a touchdown, and then we saw, you know, that disaster again last mm -hmm. week. So, you know, if you're, if you're in desperation mode, uh, you know, and you have two guys on by and someone else is hurt and he's on your roster, sure. Give him, but if you're in any kind of situation where you have something, uh, I can't, you can't trust him anymore. It's just not happening. It's just not, like you said, four targets, that's not enough, you know, for you know, sustained fantasy success. And Jacksonville secondary honestly isn't that terrible. Uh, and I do yeah. just think most of it's going through Samuel and most of it's going through Kittle. I, I just can't see Ayuk having, or I know there's not enough evidence to have be confident that Ayuk is going to have a good fantasy game. Here, let me let me try to see if I can cheer you up a little bit here since now that I know that you're a 49ers fan. Here are Ayuk snap shares by week since week four, I think it is. 67, 71, 71, 88, 93, and 90%. So the arrow is pointed clearly up uh, even last week when he only had the four targets. Last week, it's possible last week was a, a kind of just a quirky game. So the Rams, who they were playing, they play more too high safeties than pretty much any team in the league. It's like it's a style of defense that tries to limit big plays and really invites a team to run against them. And the 49ers ran incredibly well against them, right? So, like, there really wasn't any reason to throw the ball at anybody. I know that the Debo and, and Kittle had some pretty nice days from a fantasy perspective, but some of Samuel's production was as a runner, too. So I wonder if different teams playing different styles of defense might help Ayuk going forward, uh, even if they, they might have better players from a pass defense perspective. So I'm not totally off it. I have Ayuk 43rd among wide receivers in PPR formats this week. You know, that may not be a starter for you in a traditional format, but it's definitely, in my mind, still training positively. Did I cheer you up? Did I talk you into it at all? Are you happy with Ayuk yet? <laughs> I mean, I do have one team where, like, I, I continue to start him. That team's not doing well, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's just maybe maybe I have too much emotion. But it's just it's week after week. Uh, you know, he had the fumble a couple weeks ago, and Shanahan didn't pull him. So that was a little bit positive, too. But then just last week, you know, they had a good game and yeah. still ended up with 26 yards. So, uh, yeah, I'm hopeful, but I'm not too hopeful. Fair, fair. I'm glad you're here, though, given that you're 49ers background. You can maybe help me out with this, because in DFS, I'm suggesting Jeffrey Wilson might be an option at 5000 in FanDuel. I think that's $400 underpriced. It's it's obviously, I think, in my mind, a good matchup. I mean, the Jaguars, they're better as a run defense from a DVOA perspective than you would expect at seventh, uh, but they increase run plays by 5% per game. It's just a situation where teams tend to build leads and then enable extra rushing opportunities. But the question is really about Elijah Mith Mitchell's health because he broke a finger in week 10. And I don't really know what to make of this. Like, I don't know if, if he's going to play one, if he doesn't play, would Wilson be a big beneficiary or would that be more of a Trey Sermon spot? I don't know. Can you unpack this 49ers running game given the, the Mitchell injury? Sure. Mitchell, as far as I've saw today is a game time decision. So, you know, unfortunately we won't find out until Sunday probably. Um, but I think either way, Wilson is in play. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. you talked about the 49ers run the ball last year against the Rams. Uh, last week against the Rams, not only do they run a ton, they run among the best in football. You know, they have the, the, the offensive lineman pull and they do you know, all kinds of misdirection. And, and, you know, they're very tough to figure out. 
but they also do it a lot. So there's a chance for more than one guy to be fantasy relevant. So I think even if Mitchell plays, Wilson isn't a terrible option. If if Mitchell doesn't play, I love Wilson then because, you know, even like you said, Jaguars aren't that bad against the run. I don't think Kyle Shanahan wants to give Trey Sermon any kind of meaningful carries. Uh, it, you know, he hasn't all season long. You know, they drafted him in the second round. They drafted Mitchell in the sixth round, and Mitchell came in and, you know, ran away with the job. So, uh, you know, everything Sermon has done doesn't, hasn't seemed to be good enough. So I, I expect if Mitchell is out that Wilson will get the lion's share of the carries and will be an absolute absolute value at 5,000. Yeah. So uh, either way, but I, obviously he's a, he's a great play if Mitchell happens to miss the game. I do think it's an interesting thought to potentially play Wilson, even if Mitchell does play. And one thing that piques my interest there is that Mitchell or that Wilson has 0.64 rushing touchdowns and 0.50 expected rushing touchdowns per game since the start of last season. That's the second number, which is again, lower uh, is, is still 21st among running backs with 20 or more carries over that period. It's ahead of Aaron Jones. Like it's ahead of Kareem Hunt. So like, while we don't necessarily think of Jeff Wilson as being the type of second running back that you can trust from a fantasy perspective, he kind of scores a lot of touchdowns for a guy that's a second running back. And I mean, it's hard to pick a much better spot than playing against the Jaguars when, again, you may have a ton of opportunities to run. I could see him as an option with Mitchell, too, plus the the downside risk for Mitchell's playing time. I think it's a really intriguing week. I I would consider him as a long shot option and, and kind of regardless of who shows up for this game. All right, Ron, let's head over to the 4 p.m. window here. We got the Bengals at Raiders, 405 in the Dome in Las Vegas. Uh, The Bengals lost two games heading into their bye. Uh, That was a 31 to 34 loss to the Jets in week eight, 16 to 41 loss to the Browns in week nine. And then the Browns, of course, turn around and get smoked by the Patriots. It's a pretty pessimistic turn of events for a team that we were thinking could end up being a really high playoff seed. But do you think there's any implications of that from a fantasy perspective? Has the losing streak worried you about Joe Burrow or other guys on the Bengals squad? No, not from a fantasy perspective, and I'm hoping that the bye week kind of set them straight, you know, gave them a little time to get those two losses out of their heads because those were two bad losses to lose to the Jets at all and then to get blown out by the Browns. Uh, clearly it was not not good, but no, I, I, I really, really like Joe Burrow. Uh, T. Higgins, I think, is, is a great uh, wide receiver, and obviously Jamar Chase has kind of taken the, the league by storm, and Joe Mixon is having the season that everyone, you know, the people who, who swear by him, is you know, is having, so... Uh, no, I expect the, everything to get right for the Bengals and then to come out, you know, with a strong offense in this one. So I, I mostly agree with you too, Ryan. And, and Burrow had done either two or three touchdowns every week until he threw none in week nine. So you're like, it's pretty clear what the outlier is from that perspective. But one thing that's interesting for me with Burrow is that he has 20 touchdowns this season, but 13.5 expected touchdowns. Again, this is using the same logic about like where those touchdowns are coming from, distance from the end zone wise, area, air yards wise. So he's basically had a ton of really long touchdowns, the type of throws that tend not to become touchdowns. And his 6.5 touchdown surplus in that respect is the biggest among quarterbacks. What's interesting about this from a quarterback perspective compared to, say, a running back or wide receiver is that quarterbacks might continue to advance on those drives and eventually get touchdowns. And you tend to see the better quarterbacks have like overachieving results there. So like Patrick Mahomes has 5.9 surplus this year. Wilson's got a surplus. Murray's got a surplus. Prescott's got a surplus. It's like it all kind of points to to Burrow maybe kind of breaking out as one of the better quarterbacks in the league. But that being said, I do think he's been a a bit lucky to score as many touchdowns as he had, maybe because Joe Mixon would have had some of those touchdowns. Like not necessarily a criticism of the offense, but I'll say that Burrow is my 15th quarterback from a fantasy perspective in a true talent sense. 
So maybe a little bit less than you might think, but he jumps up to 10th this week in what I think is a plus matchup facing the Raiders, but being in the dome, which I think is a really nice benefit as well. So some good, some I mean, bad there. I think a lot of the touchdowns just come from Chase. I mean, he, you know, yeah, he's been amazing. Head. He makes big plays and, and takes, you know, 10-yard passes and turns them to 75-yard touchdowns. It's true. Like, I can't I can't remember the last time that a rookie quarter, rookie wide receiver was this impactful, I guess, unless you want to count Justin Jefferson last year. Yeah, Maybe right? it's just a really sweet time for wide receivers in the NFL. I mean, it's fun it stuff. Really is. Um, taking a different tact here with the wide receivers, my DFS play for the week for this game is actually Hunter Renfro at 6,100 in FanDuel. I think that's modestly underpriced at 600. Modest is kind of the name of the game here because it's not like he's had a huge breakout after the team released Henry Ruggs two weeks ago, but his 65% and 72% snap shares the last two weeks are two of his four highest totals of the season. He's had nine targets the last two weeks. That's tied for his most for the season. So while Renfro isn't filling the role that Ruggs played, it does seem like his workload is ticked up since the absence. And is that kind of like driving my interest for him in a DFS perspective? Do you feel the same way? Or do you think there's a different Raider here that might end up benefiting longer term? No, I like I like Renfro a lot. I think he's going to be, you know, a guy that every week you're going to be able to consider. And it's just the consistency and the volume. Like, that's yeah. what DFS, you know, wide receivers are to me. It's volume. That's what you – obviously, if you're not getting thrown the ball, you're not, you know, getting as many catches. And Renfro's not going to have a 75-yard touchdown. He's not going to catch 165 yards. But he's going to get you, you know, five or six catches, 60 to 70 yards, basically every week and then when he finds the end zone you get that little extra bonus bump yeah and when you're looking for you know a guy at 6100 that's not a really a, a high salary on DraftKings. I, I think he's a great play you know obviously he's the he's the uh the safety net for for uh david carr along with you know obviously waller but mm. i mean where else are you getting excited you're not excited about brian edwards you're not excited about zay jones deshaun, deshaun jackson, jackson caught, one, yeah, he caught one pass and then he gave it to the other team so <laughs> There's, there's not a lot of options here to throw to. So I, I really like Renfro. I think he's a he's a nice rock piece at a, and not a, a high price. Absolutely. All right, we've made it to the game of the week. Cowboys at Chiefs, 425 Eastern time in Kansas City, 56 degrees and clear with some wind, 16 miles per hour, but probably not enough to mute these two high-powered offenses. But I do want to zag here a bit, Ryan, because I want to ask not about the offenses, but whether the Chiefs defense – is still the plus-plus matchup that we thought of them from the early season. The team is still tied for 30th, or they're ranked 30th in defensive DVOA overall for the full season, but I've noticed they've trended very positively of late. So, like, they were – let me do the DVOA by week defensively. Positive numbers are bad in this case. 38%, 22%, 12%, 23%, 65%. Those are all horrible for the first five games. Negative 25%, a.k.a. 25% better than average, 8.5%, negative 8%, still better than average, negative 12%, negative 2%. So that's a better than average defensive performance in, in four of the last five games. I don't know if that's schedule or what, but is it possible the Chiefs defense is actually trending in the right direction here? Yeah, I don't think it was, you know, I don't think it was ever as bad as it looked, you know, early in the year, or it shouldn't have been, I guess I'll mm -hmm. say. Uh, they're not that bad. Are they good? No. Uh, you know, they made David Carr look real bad. Uh, did I say David Carr? Derek Carr. Whichever sorry. Carr, brother. We're good. <laughs> Everyone made David Carr look bad. But uh, Derek Carr, made it, he looked really bad in that last game. Uh, and, and, yeah, I think they are improving. But I think the Cowboys' offense is too good. Uh, you know, I think that this is going to be a lot of points. I believe this is the highest over-under in Vegas this week. 
so I do expect that Dak Prescott and CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper and all, I, I think they're going to get theirs. I think it's, it might, it, I think if I won't be surprised if both teams finish in the thirties in this one. Yeah, I'm not going to dispute that point. I mean, I think the Cowboys may be too good of an offense for any defense to really slow down in any real way. But I do think it's interesting to note that I would say in particular with the run defense. So I do these like run defense factors. They work kind of like park factors in baseball. So they like suggest how much percentage over or under an average team a team is allowing various stats. And like five or six weeks ago, they were allowing like 50% increases in touchdowns per carry. Now they're they're like 20% under. So like this may not be the slam dunk rushing matchup you would expect for a guy like Ezekiel Elliott. Not enough to bench him. I mean, you're not going to bench a player like him in any week in fantasy, but is he going to have two rushing touchdowns this week? I'm not so sure. And so like from a DFS perspective, that may not be the way that I would lean this week with the Chiefs. I would say, even if they're not great, I think defensively they're much better than everybody expects they are at this point. And I think that's kind of the trap you can fall in here. And so... Like more broadly from a DFS perspective, I'm going to jump back in on Travis Kelsey at this point instead of looking at the Cowboys. Kelsey is obviously expensive the way he always is, 7,100 in DraftKings. But this is maybe the only time all year I've seen him as being underpriced in the format. And like, I don't really have a great statistical piece of evidence for this, but I'll say that he had a clear slump. Like that period when the Chiefs offense was playing really badly, he had 16 catches, 160 yards, and a touchdown combined over three games from week seven to nine. And last week, it's eight catches for 119 yards. You know, slumps like that can happen. Big games like that can happen at any time for players. But I'm curious if maybe Kelsey was hurt, if there was something going on there, and he just looked explosive and like prime self to me last week. So I, I'm going to roll back here with Kelsey. Do you think that I'm I'm seeing too much that isn't there? Or do you think that Kelsey really may have turned a corner in a weird way for a guy that's been as successful as he has for six years? You know, I think they may have all turned the corner, you know, over the last few weeks watching the Chiefs, it just seemed like they were as shocked as that they were performing as bad as we were. Mm. You know, you sit watch Mahomes walk off the field and he's just like had no idea why all of a sudden all this stuff that's been working for the past three years all of a sudden isn't working for him. So yeah, they certainly got well against the Raiders last week, and you can just never go wrong with Travis Kelsey. Mm. All right, a few more games to hit on here. Still at the 425 window here. Cardinals at Seahawks in Seattle, 46 degrees and clear. Ryan, Russell Wilson got shut out for the first time in his career last week. He's coming off the broken finger. Is it time to panic on him in fantasy? I, I got to admit, I'm a little worried. I'm, I'm just a little worried he tried to come back too soon. Or maybe, you know, because, you know, he's just a, a driven guy who always wants to be out there, always wants to help his team. And maybe he needs more time. So, yeah, based on how terrible he looked last week against the Packers defense, which is all right, but nothing, you know, mind-boggling, uh, yeah, I'm a little worried that that uh, he might not be quite 100% and is trying to tough it out and might not be helping his team that way. I mean, I'm worried about the health. I mean, I think there's no way around that. And so anytime you're going to be using him in the short term, it could blow up in your face. But I do think there, there are two things that kind of pop out to me here. One with the Packers, while they may be no great shakes from an overall perspective this year, they they clearly have been trending defensively even before this game. So they were the sixth worst defensive DVOA team in weeks one to six but the seventh best one in week seven to nine. And given that they have a new defensive coordinator this year, to me, it's it's less of a surprise that there might've been like a period of adjustment to the defensive improvements. I think they actually may be an above average defense right now. So that's one point of it too. But I'm glad you're here because you're, you're kind of a projection nerd like myself. Let's get really nerdy with this. I have a theory here. I've talked a little bit about the too high safety look that's kind of become very popular in the NFL of late. It's been like the Vic Fangio and Brandon Staley style defense that's really taken off. And it's 
it's really good at preventing like success of play action passes, one of the big analytical trends in recent seasons, but it's also kind of designed to eliminate big plays for downfield throwers. This I'm going to kind of cheat and tie this into the next game too, because my question for that game is whether there's anything wrong with Justin Herbert. And it's something that I've noticed with a lot of the quarterbacks that have a lot of success with the deeper passes. I think maybe they're struggling because of the prevalence of the too high safety look this season. It's not just Patrick Mahomes, but let me read off the guys that were the leading deep fantasy point percentage guys from last year. And, and we can say whether they've been struggling this year or not. Patrick Mahomes scored 27% of his fantasy points on deep passes. He seems to be struggling this year, right? Kyler Murray, no. Aaron Rodgers, 25% of his passes from deep passes. He's kind of struggling a little bit this year from a fantasy perspective. Matthew Stafford, 24%. Not fair to say he's struggling. I think he's yeah. really enjoyed the improvements with the Rams offense, but of late has been struggling to get the ball down the field. Daniel Jones, Justin Herbert, 23% of his passes are deep for, for deep scoring. Russell Wilson, 22%. Do you think there's anything in the fact that the guys that maybe got a lot of their fantasy success throwing down the field are now seeing defenses adjust to specifically stop the thing that they do well? Is there anything there, or, or am I getting too too much into the weeds here in your mind? No, I definitely think that's, that's part of it, and especially with Mahomes. I think you're seeing that an awful lot. Uh, you know, I don't know that I've dug deep enough to, to hit all seven of these guys, but – you know, I definitely think that's a factor with Mahomes. And, yeah, I mean, eventually you have to figure these, these defensive coordinators, they're, they're, they make a lot of money, and this is their job. You know, of uh -huh. course they're going to do everything they can to try to figure it out. And it certainly seems like, you know, not the Raiders necessarily last week. Uh, but it, even that, they wasn't like huge deep throws by Mahomes. It was yeah. a lot of, you know, shorter things that just happened to go well, and the Raiders couldn't tackle. Uh, but, yeah, I think there's certainly something to your theory here. And that's the thing with the Raiders, too, is that they don't ever play any too high safety looks, and they basically didn't last week either. I mean, their, their deep coordinator, Gus Bradley, is very much of the, the Seattle mold of the traditional, like, safety playing in the box camp chancellor style. And it's, it's tough because not every team has the right personnel to play that way. So it's, it's not going to be an every week situation, but it's something that I definitely have my eyes on. And I'll be curious to see what ends up happening with the team this week. From, I mean, we're back back here at the Cardinals and Seahawks game as a bit of a reset. From a DFS angle, I'm kind of looking away from the passing game because I have those question marks. And I think James Conner is the player that I think I'll recommend here at 6,100 in DraftKings. I think that's pretty markedly underpriced. And it's because while he was splitting time with Chase Edmonds, Edmonds was getting pretty much all of the work as a receiver. He was out-targeted 36-5 to five, uh, before Edmonds ended up suffering his injury. But Connor has now seen nine targets the last two weeks versus none for Eno Benjamin. So while Benjamin is getting worked in a little bit, Connor is playing much more of a bell cow role, getting both rushes and receptions of late. And to me, his, his prices haven't caught up yet. Do you feel the same way about Connor? And do you think, does he need Kyler Murray for that to work for you in fantasy? Or would you trust him either way? Uh, I'll probably trust him either way. I think it definitely helps with Murray. I believe he's going to be a game time call. Uh, but I don't think they're going to have DeAndre Hopkins again this week. So that leaves, you know, Christian Kirk and AJ Green and you know, Zach Ertz. Yeah, around as much as you'd expect. Yeah. So, so, you know, I think they, they definitely want to, to rely on the on the run game. You know, being in Seattle, it's not as nice as it would be in Phoenix in the Dome. So I think they want to chew it up some with, with Connor. So I think he's a great call. Yeah. The Sunday night game is the Steelers at Chargers, 8.20 p.m. in L.A. in the Dome. I mentioned it a little bit with my previous theory, but do you have any other thoughts about Justin Herbert? Are you still as excited as you were? Or are you concerned that it's been kind of a rough slate of it over the last month or so for him from a fantasy perspective? 
I, I think he's going to be okay. He is one of my favorite fantasy quarterbacks. You, you see him littered all over my, my season-long team. I think it's a, a little bit of a, a downswing. Uh, you know, the teams have been taking Mike Williams out of the equation. So yeah. I do still think he'll be okay. Uh, you know, Steelers' defense has been a little bit better of late. There's still the secondary isn't awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't necessarily think that this is, you know, a 350-yard, three-touchdown game for Herbert. But I, I think he still can, can grab you, you know, 16, 18 points. Yeah, I wish this game was at 1 p.m. because we may not know about Roethlisberger, you know, until it's too late to set your fantasy lineups. But I do want to advocate Pat Fryermuth, especially if we get word that Roethlisberger is able to play. Fryermuth is at, at 5,200 in FanDuel. I think that's 600 underpriced. Uh, for one, the Chargers, we talk about their run defense being terrible all the time, but they're a really good matchup for opposing tight ends as well. They've allowed eight touchdowns to tight ends on the season in nine games. They allowed two to Tyler Conklin last week. So I think it's a great spot for Fryer from a fantasy perspective. Plus, he has a 19% target share since week six when Juju Smith-Schuster went out for the year. That's top 10 at the position. I think Fryer is definitely trending up. Do you feel that way as well? Definitely. And I don't I don't know how I can improve on, on that than anything you, everything you just threw out. Definitely. He's a, he's a great call. Great. Then let's shift it over to the Monday night game before we hit on those YouTube questions. We got the Giants at Buccaneers. Monday at 815 in Tampa, 66 degrees and clear, but with some 15-mile-an-hour winds being a possible factor. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Bucks defense? I mean, last year, especially in the second half of the season, they were one of the more fearsome groups, a big limiter of both rushing efficiency and rushing carries per game. But they have so many injuries at this point. I'm not sure if it's something that you want to be scared of in fantasy. What do you think? No, I don't think that you you need to be scared of in fantasy. It's just a matter of you know what weapons are the Giants – are you going to trust? I mean, looking like Saquon Barkley is, is might be good to go for this one. Uh, you know, but outside of Jamel Dean there, like you said, their secondary has just been torn apart by injuries. So uh, while Dean may be locking up Kenny Galladay, that could, does that open the door for Kadarius Tony to have a big game? You know, we'll see if Stone Shepard is going to play. I don't think he's going to. Uh, so, so maybe this is a, a, a Tony breakout, you know, you'd love, you, he's kind of like the guy I feel like wants to do extra on Monday night. Cause they're the only game in, you know, make a little bit of a name for himself because he seems to have a little bit of that diva tendency in him. So I, I kind of, that might not be the most technical reasons, but I, I kind of, that's kind of why I'm going after him on Monday night. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say at this point, I'm not afraid from the Bucks from a passing perspective, you know, especially with Carlton Davis and Sean Murphy bunting, they've both been out on injured reserve. Richard Sherman, one of their replacements is on injured reserve now. Jason Pierre-Paul has been playing with a torn rotator cuff. So a lot of the pass rush and de- defense type of elements have been bad. But then last week, you know, Vita Vea suffered a bone bruise. He may miss a few games, may end up on IR too. So even right now, I'm not sure I'm terrified of a running back in the matchup. So like you mentioned, if we know that Saquon Barkley is able to go, I think I'm going to probably play him pretty confidently if we feel like from a health perspective, he's going to make it work. At the DFS angle of this, you know, I was looking at Tyler Johnson as a nice value at 3,400 in DraftKings. His snap share jumped from 16% in week six to over 60% the last three games while Antonio Brown and Gronk have been out. But there's there's kind of breaking news late of late that Gronk returned to practice finally on Thursday. Again, it's tricky with the Monday night game, but Gronk may play. Does that kind of affect your decision making here? Or what are your thoughts on Tyler Johnson as a possible deep league guy? A deep league guy, it's possible. You know, he's he I was thinking two weeks ago he had a pretty good game. I don't think I believe he did not that much uh last week against Washington, although I guess none of the, no one did all that much. They had a rough uh, day. Yeah. Mike Evans will probably see a lot of James Bradbury, uh, but I, I do like 
um, Chris Godwin a lot. You know, Johnson dart throw again if you're if you're looking to to save some value uh, or save some salary. He's certainly someone you can look at. Uh, I expect a much better offensive game this week for for Tampa Bay. Same. Okay, we've got some questions to hit on here before we wrap things up. As mentioned, guys, we are live. It's actually Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. You can watch us live on YouTube or on Facebook, Twitch, or Twitter. But if you join us on YouTube, you can ask us questions. Let's hit on some of the fantasy ones heading into week 11 here. Mixa Waves asks, how much would you guys trust Kyler Murray if he's able to play this week? I mean, it's a complicating factor that I think isn't his game at four. So you you may have to make a bit of a fantasy decision before you know for sure if he is going to play. I would say that in general, I'm probably never going to bench Murray if he's active. But it does worry me that last season toward the second half of the year, when he was a bit injured, he was started running the ball a lot less than he had previously. So like, is he going to be a top three type of fantasy quarterback if he plays this week? That's where I may quibble a little bit. So maybe avoid him from DFS perspective, but play him in your traditional leagues. But but what do you think about that, Ryan? Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to sit him if he's active. You know, we we spoke a little bit earlier about James Conner and, and running the ball. The Seahawks secondary, DJ Reed is a pretty solid corner, uh-huh. um, but it, it, it is tough. You know, if you if you don't know going into Sunday, it depends on your other option. I mean, if your other option is is you know Tua, then I'm probably which we talked nicely about earlier. But still, if your other option is Tua, I'm probably going with. Kyler Murray, if for some reason you have another really solid quarterback, I'd, I'd look another direction, but it's uh, the guy's really good. Agreed. All right, Smokey the Cat. Cat, there's multiple cats there. I'm a little confused. He has a question. One flex, Bateman, Gallup, Dante Foreman, or Tony Pollard from a fantasy this weekend. This may be one where PPR or non-PPR is an important distinction, but let's just assume it's a PPR format. I mentioned with the the Cowboys that I think that the Chiefs run defense is a lot better than you probably think it is. So it's probably not Pollard for me. And I don't think it's Gallup either. So I'm looking, I think I'm looking at either Bateman or Dante Foreman. God, I got to say, I really like Bateman. I was really encouraged that even when Sammy Watkins returned to the lineup, he still got a lot more snaps played. It still seems to be one of Lamar's preferred third down options. He's a player I'm kind of counting on as like a five or six catch guy per week. And if it's a PPR format, that's definitely going to be better than what Foreman does. Do you feel the same way, Ryan? Actually, yeah, I do. That was where I was leaning right from the start. If the Tennessee running game, you know, was a little bit more well-defined, then it might be uh-huh. different. But, you know, we spoke earlier about how you, you kind of don't know going into this week. And while Foreman is trending up, is it enough to, to use that kind of a, a roster spot on? So I would go with Bateman as well. So, and Smokey the Cat Cat has another question too. Uh, rest of season, Elijah Moore or Kadarius Tony. Uh, you, you know, you brought up earlier about Sterling Shepard potentially missing this game. I do think it's interesting that Tony had his best game of the season when he was playing almost exclusively in the slot as a substitute slot option for for Sterling Shepard, who normally plays there. So I think I like Tony a lot better from the slot than I like him outside as a fantasy option for the rest of the year. Uh, but I just feel like when Shepard comes back, I'm not sure it's going to be there for him. So I think I lean more there. What about you? It, it's kind of a coin flip. I, I mean, you know, they're both in kind of strange situations. Neither one is in a great offense. Uh, neither one is the the you know preferred option. I would say Moore has less competition, although you know Tony has a better quarterback or for whoever the Jets are throwing out. Uh, <laughs> but uh, if I had to pick one, I would go with Moore as well. Yeah. He also follows up that whether he should start uh, Russell or Tua this week at quarterback. I know I said some like either negative or conspiratorial thoughts about why Wilson has had kind of a relatively down year. Uh, but to me, it's I would start Wilson every week over to uh, even if it's a difficult matchup. I just think their sort of calibers of, of quarterback and fantasy quarterback are different enough that I would trust the, the veteran there. What about you? 
I hate to say this, but I'm going to go in the other direction. Between the quarterback, between the injury concern and going against the Cardinals, who are a decent secondary, although, you know, they got scored on a lot last week. Uh, Miami's got the Jets, and Tua's been pretty decent. So I'm going to go unconventional here and go against Russell Wilson. I like it. All right, one more question, and then we can wrap this thing up from Deacon. Hey, guys, he's got Saquon Barkley. Should he be worried about starting him Monday? We talked a little bit about Barkley before, and I would say that, like, from a matchup perspective, I'm a lot less scared about the Bucks defense than I would be typically. So, like, in that sense, I'm I'm not scared of starting Barkley if we know he's healthy. What I would be scared about is the fact that this is a Monday night game. We don't know right now whether Barkley's going to be able to play or not. So, I think if I had any kind of decent option that I had to put in my lineups by 1 p.m. on Sunday, I might make that that move. Um, but if you could maybe protect yourself with Devonte Booker, that's where I might be a little bit more feeling confident in that option. Is that is that how you would handle it, or would you go a different way? Yeah, I think so. I mean, just really pay attention to what you're you're hearing. You know, if we if we get you know a lot more positive news and you feel a lot better about it, sure. You know, and, and definitely if Booker is there, you know, finding a spot for him in his roster just in case, because uh, yeah, obviously Leonard Fournette's not going to be available, and you don't want Ronald Jones. So that's you know guys from the other team. So, you know, I'm feeling good about Barkley from what I've read so far. So I think, temp, you know, tentatively I put him into my lineup, but I would certainly have a plan B in case things you know, don't sound quite so uh, so great by Sunday morning. Absolutely. Well, Ryan, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Why don't you tell everybody where they can catch all of your work and catch your other stuff going on? I right, just go over to fantasyalarm.com and dfsalarm.com. I do a wide receiver cornerback article every week that drops on Thursday, but uh, the staff there, we just do so much content, uh, you know, from, from Howard Bender's playbook to we have a, a coach article for every, um, every position, uh, you know, snap count stuff. Mm. Our tools are top notch. There's just so much over there. Go to fantasyalarm.com, uh, you know, and we'll help you win. I highly encourage everybody to check out Ryan's work and everything going over there on Fantasy Alarm. It's great stuff. Before we run out of here, I'll mention, too, that you should catch us back again next week. We're live Monday, I think Monday through Wednesday next week, Thanksgiving week. We'll do live streams at 1 p.m. Eastern time, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch. And one last time, FO Plus is now on sale for 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions. It's a limited time offer, so go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or follow the link in the description of the show to check all of that out. Phew, we got through it all. hope this was helpful for everybody. I hope everyone has a lot of great luck in their Week 11 fantasy matchups. Hope you win that. And then meanwhile, come back next week and catch us again. We'll, we'll keep this thing going. Thanks so much, Ryan. Thanks again for being on. Everybody have a great weekend.